recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Great to see you here. Great, uh, all of you that are joining online to have you joining with us this morning. Uh, the new year, um, it's always an opportunity for a fresh start. Uh, we talk a lot about New Year's resolutions. We think and we plan ahead. Kate's kind of already alluded to looking ahead and wondering what that might be like. Um, this is the time we think about eating less, exercising more, spending less time on our phones, more time with God, set goals like I'm going to read through Leviticus this year. Um, <laughs> maybe not. Um, we, we kind of set all these goals and we, we want to try and achieve this maybe to do with our career or relationships or a whole bunch of different things. But I'm living proof, and many of you probably are too, that by February, many of these resolutions have fallen by the way, wayside. They say that gym membership is highest in January. Is that right, John? Yeah? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great time for trainers and gyms right now. But, you know, by February, March, many of those things have fallen by the wayside. And so, you know, as I was thinking and praying about what we should be reflecting on as God's people and as we prepare for this year, as we think about the year ahead, um, I just want to do something, I guess, a little bit different and think about, which is the title of our series that if you'd seen on Facebook, you'd have seen the, the sneak preview. Rather than think about New Year's resolutions, we want to think about New Year's attitudes. New Year's attitudes. And again, uh, in, in light of all of the uncertainty and, and all of what last year was like, I think this is a better way for us to live. And this is not just for the new year, this is not just for this year, this is not just something that we need to kind of think about for 2022, but I think as we reflect on these attitudes, they're the things that God is calling us to live by and how God is calling us to live. And they would be true and relevant for us every year and any time of the year. But I think at the beginning of a year, it's a good time to kind of reset our heart, restart some of those things and be reminded again of who we are and how God is calling us to live as his people and to, I guess, put some markers in the ground and go, yes, God, I want to grow in these attitudes for this year. And I really believe that if we really grab a hold of these attitudes, they'll be better than any resolution you make. They will bring deeper and, and more long-lasting transformation into your life, into every aspect of your life as you embrace these attitudes. It will bring true change. It will bring true breakthrough in, in many areas of your life because it's the work of God in your heart. And when your heart is changed, everything around you cannot help but change. And the other good news about thinking about attitudes is that this is some, something you don't have to do on your own. You know, like when you set a goal, you have to kind of have a plan and a strategy. And a lot of it depends on your self-discipline and your self-control and sheer willpower sometimes to just get to the gym. And yes, the Bible talks a lot about us striving to grow in Christ-likeness. But the other thing the Bible talks a lot about is the fruit of the Spirit. And we have this incredible power resource that is at our disposal, the Holy Spirit living in us who wants to develop these attitudes in our hearts, who, who wants to make us more like Jesus, who wants us to grow in these ways. And so we have the assurance of His power and His support and His 
his strength, his conviction, his guidance, his instruction to help us to grow in these attitudes. It's not something we have to kind of really strive hard on our own and really be determined with our self-will and our self-power to actually achieve. Uh, These things are things that the Holy Spirit will enable us as we surrender to him, as we pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. As we surrender our hearts to God's love and open ourselves to him more and more, these are things that the Holy Spirit will do in us. New Year's attitude. So that's where we're going to go over the next few weeks. And, and I pray and really believe that this series will be an encouragement. It'll be a challenge. It will, it will help you to reset some things in your heart. And that you'll find that as you begin to embrace these and live these out, that so many other things in your career, in your relationships, in your physical health, in your mental health, your emotional well-being, in, in every part of your life, in your finances, will begin to change because you're living according to God's word. So let me pray and we'll jump into our first attitude. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that as we begin this new year, as Kate has reminded us, we have the assurance that you are with us. There is another in the fire. Lord, that you are with us no matter what trial and tribulation that might be ahead. You are with us in the mountaintops and in the valleys. And we thank you, Father, that you are here right now by your Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, will you open our hearts to receive all that you have for us? Will you open our hearts that we would be aware of your Spirit? Will you open our ears to hear what he's wanting to say to us today? And Lord, we yield our hearts to your word. We surrender to your Holy Spirit and what he wants to say and do in our hearts today. Help me, Lord, to communicate your word faithfully. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first attitude I want to look at, which is a little bit of a surprising one to launch the series, is fear. Is fear. Now you might think, hey, maybe we should have started with love. Or maybe we should have started with hope. Or maybe we should have started with peace. Fear? That kind of seems a weird one to start with. But more specifically, not just fear, but fear of God. Fear of God. I think that's a very, very good place for us to start. Now again, when we think about fear of God, we might kind of struggle with it. There might be a tension there for us. And we might kind of go, hang on, but are we, why, why are we fearing God? Jesus has come. And, you know, we heard in communion, he's made everything new and he's, he's accomplished uh, his work on the cross and we have forgiveness. We have access to God. You know, the temple curtain was torn in two. We don't have to do the Levitical. We don't have to be afraid of God. Well, the Hebrew says we can come boldly into God's throne room and we can receive grace and mercy. So what's all this talk about fearing God? Like, isn't that kind of no longer relevant for us anymore? Well, there was a time when people used to say of somebody in a very positive way that they're a God-fearer or or they fear God. And what they meant by that was they have a a, a moral and, and and a character that reflected an awareness of God. But we don't use that expression as much anymore these days. In fact, that you know, if we say that somebody is, is fears God, we, we see that as kind of a negative thing. We see that as somehow affecting their relationship with God in an unhelpful, unhealthy way. But the Bible has a lot to say about fearing God. In fact, the Bible calls God's people to fear Him more often than it calls His people to love Him. Isn't that interesting? Now again, we we don't want to build whole theologies on the number of times certain things are mentioned in the Bible, but it is an interesting fact to keep in mind that the Bible certainly talks a lot about the importance of us as God's people fearing Him. So the first thing I want to suggest to you or show you from God's Word is that 
the fear of God or fearing God is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I guess we need to adjust our thinking to understand and embrace this attitude that the Bible is talking about over and over again about the importance of fearing Him. It is a good thing. And these are some of the scriptures that you will find helpful uh, if you're doing a Bible study. Uh, Proverbs is the one, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. It's probably the famous one that you know uh, that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning point of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 9, 10 says a very similar thing about knowledge, that that's where knowledge begins in the fear of God. Uh, in lots of scriptures in Proverbs uh, 14, 27, 15, 16, 19, 23, these talk about that the fear of God is life-giving and it brings rest and it brings contentment. Not the kind of things we would often associate with fear, but fearing God, the, the Bible says, brings these good things. In fact, in Proverbs 23, verse 17, it actually says that the fear of God is something that we should eagerly desire and pursue in our lives. That we should want more of this attitude called the fear of God. The, the, the scriptures continue. Uh, and these are incredible. These promises in Psalms uh, are profound. Psalm 147, 128, 85, 25. They, they talk about that f- the fear of God, it brings delight to us. It brings God's blessing to us. It brings God's salvation to us. It brings God's revelation to us. He, he draws near to those who fear him. And he reveals himself to those who fear him. Wonderful promises. And one of the other things we find in Scripture over and over again, I've given you two examples there, uh, Job chapter 1, verse 8, and Exodus 18.21, is that God loves those who fear Him, and He commends them. And when God is talking to Satan in chapter 1 about Job, that's one of the things that God says about Job. Have you considered my servant? He fears me. And then the reference in Exodus is where God is instructing Moses of who to choose to be his support team, his eldership team or his leadership team to to, uh, delegate the responsibility of leadership. He says, find people who fear me, who fear God. But I want to read you um, uh, Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 11. Interestingly, it's the passage just before the one that Esther read for us. And, and chapter 11 begins with a prophetic uh, statement that Isaiah makes about the coming Messiah, the branch from Jesse. And this is what it says prophetically about Jesus, really, the Messiah that was to come. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, verse 1. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit, listen to this, of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And listen to verse 3. And he, Jesus, will delight in the fear of the Lord. So if Jesus, we're told, is going to delight in the fear of the Lord, then it's got to be a good thing. It's got to be something that we as followers of Jesus ought also to embrace, that we should also desire eagerly to fear God because Jesus delighted in the fear of God. So the fear of God, firstly, it's a good thing, something that we ought to pursue, something we ought to desire, something that we ought to want and long for as an attitude in our lives. But what exactly is it? What does the fear of God really mean? Well, the Bible, the second thing I want you to see is that the Bible talks about the fear of God in two ways. There's two very distinct ways the Bible talks about the fear of God. The first one is probably the one that we usually associate and think about when we think about the fear of God. It is a right but negative attitude. That's how the Bible talks about it. And this fear of God has to do with God's judgment. 
It has to do with God's wrath. It has to do with God's punishment. It has to do with God's righteousness and his holiness. And it's really something that the scriptures teach us that we're supposed to dread and to be afraid of. A good example of this is in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobey God and they're hiding in the bush. That's what this fear of God does. And when we come to the end of the, the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we see these pictures, graphic displays of God's judgment and wrath being poured out, we see humans often responding in this dread, in this fear, in this retreating from God, in this wanting to hide. They're, they're asking the mountains to fall on them and the rocks to cover them, to shield them from the wrath of God. Now again, this is not something that's popular in our culture. And this is the part of God's nature that we want to try and soften. And we want to say, no, 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 God's loving and he's kind and he's compassionate. And God is all of those things. But God is also holy and righteous and pure. And he can't stand sin. Sin is offensive to him in a way that you and I will never understand. And this is the bit where, you know, in our culture, we try and soften this by saying, well, you know, those things, they used to be sin back in the day, but we've evolved now. We're a lot more educated now. We're a lot more self-aware now. You know, those things, well, God doesn't, he doesn't mind those things as much. He's not bothered by those things as much. We don't really need to worry about those things as much. And we try different ways to, to soften this because it is a terrifying, awesome, frightful thing to experience God's wrath. But the Bible says that because of our sin and our rebellion, we all stand condemned before the holiness and the righteousness of God. And this fear is a right fear for humans who've violated God's laws, who've spat in his face, who've rejected his lordship, who've turned their back on him. It is a right fear, but it is a negative fear. And even in the New Testament, when we come to uh, passages like Hebrews chapter 10, we see the writers of the New Testament reminding us, even in the New Covenant era, how we ought to still hold this picture of the, the fierce, holy, righteous judgment of God. And we see in Hebrews 10 verse 26 and following, it says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. That's that fear, the right and negative fear of God, of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And listen to verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, my friends, as as unpalatable and as difficult and as hard as it is for us to accept and understand the holiness of God and the judgment and the wrath of God, God does not treat sin lightly. It is very, very serious. And we ought to fear the holiness and the righteousness of God if there is sin in our life. Now, that's the bad news. 
But the good news is that that's what Jesus does for us. That's why community is so incredible. That's why it's so amazing for us to reflect on the cross all the time. Because that is the fear that Jesus comes to rescue us from. That is the fear that Jesus obliterates and removes from every believer's heart. Because the Bible says that Jesus absorbed on himself on that cross when he died and rose again. The fullness of God's wrath and the fullness of God's condemnation. The fullness of God's fear against sin Jesus bore it all on the cross for you and for me and we don't need to fear God's wrath anymore just a couple of scriptures from the New Testament that will help us Romans 8 15 says this the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again there's the hope we have as Christians rather the spirit you received brought brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba Father that the holy righteous judge of all creation is now in Christ your heavenly father and we've been released and set free from the fear of God's judgment and one John It's probably the most famous and wonderful uh, scripture for us to meditate on. Chapter 4 verse 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, the love of God displayed at the cross in Jesus, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. It's that sense of dread that we carry in our hearts. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What wonderful hope we have. What wonderful good news for those who believe in Jesus that we've been set free from this fear of God's wrath and judgment. And I want to say to you, Christian, today, if you struggle with this truth and you still wrestle with this dreadful fear of, of, of being judged and condemned, Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I encourage you, reflect on these verses like Romans 8.15 and 1 John 4.18 and let them sink into your heart. That because of Jesus, you don't need to fear God's wrath and his judgment anymore. You've been set free. If you're not a Christian, then I lovingly say to you, this aspect of God's holiness is something we ought to fear. We ought to fear. This dread of, of condemnation and judgment because of our sin, we stand guilty before a holy God. That is a dreadful and scary thing. But there is hope and there is good news in Jesus. And I invite you to reach out to him. If you feel that sense of dread, if you feel that sense of conviction, if you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you about your sin, I encourage you, reach out to Jesus, call out to Jesus, ask for his forgiveness. Because in Christ, the condemnation goes. Guilt is removed. Sin is atoned for. And our, 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 our status is changed from being condemned to being declared righteous and innocent. And we have right standing before the Father. And we can come to Him in confidence without any fear or dread. I invite you, reach out to us at the end of this service. If you're watching online or if you're watching at another point, reach out to us, contact us so we can tell you about God's love displayed in Jesus so you don't need to dread His judgment. But the second aspect of fear that the Bible actually talks a lot more frequently about is this good and and positive fear of God, this good fear of God. 
And this has to do more with God's awesomeness and, and reverence for him and, and, and a respect for him. And, and it's being amazed at his greatness in your life. It's coming face to face with the bigness of God and how uh, huge and awesome and mind-blowing he is. He's coming face to face with his glory and his magnificence and bowing before him in worship because we're so aware of, of how awesome he is. And we, we see this uh, displayed, and I'd like to read you this passage as well, in Exodus uh, chapter 20. And this is at Mount Sinai where God's giving his law. And he's told them to prepare themselves, to cleanse themselves, to purify themselves in chapter 19. And then we come to the end of chapter 20 where God's given them the covenant, given them the law. And this is what it says in verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning, they're symbols of God's glory. In theological terms, it's called a theophany, a physical revelation of the glory of God. Thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke. They trembled with fear. This is that awesome reverence of God. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. See, there's no need for us to retreat or hide in a bush like Adam and Eve. Because of Jesus, we can come like Moses boldly into the presence of God, but in awe and in reverence and in worship. That's what this fear is getting at. And I think this, honestly, is the fear that many of us as Christians really need to develop more of in our lives. I think as, as wonderful as it is that we focus so much on the love of God and the gospel and the good news of Jesus and all of those things are true, but I think as a result, maybe it's brought a casualness in our attitude to God, a, a flippancy where we just treat God God like our best mate. And you've seen those t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. And we carry that kind of attitude sometimes in our relationship with God, where we've made him familiar. We've domesticated him. We've made him a small God and we've lost sight of the glory and the awe of God. And I want to say to you, church, I want to say to you, Christian, watching online, as you begin this year, I encourage you to step back and cultivate a reverent awe of God again. I'm reminded of um, Job, and you know the story in his book, you know, a whole bunch of calamity happens in his life, and he's wrestling with God for much of the book, and then we get to the latter parts of chapters 38 and following where God turns up and he reveals himself, because Job has been demanding a day in court where he can face God and say, okay, God, you owe me an answer, give me an answer, You, 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 I, you owe me an explanation, and God turns up and doesn't give him an explanation, but reveals his glory. And God begins to list all the things that he's done and all the things that he does do in creation and the universe. And we see Job's response in chapter 40 is to cover his mouth. He goes, I'm done talking, God. And then in chapter 42, he, he, he throws himself on the ground and he, he, he repents in dust and he says, God, I humble myself before you. I, I thought I knew you, but I spoke f- carelessly. But now my eyes have seen you. 
I remind you of Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah gets a glimpse of God's glory. The first thing he does is he throws himself on the ground and he worships and he says, I'm undone. I'm undone by the holiness of God. I take you to John chapter 1, where John sees Jesus, the one we see as our savior and homeboy. He sees Jesus as the resurrected King of kings and the Lord of lords with eyes blazing like fire and the sword coming out of his mouth. And John too falls like dead, drops dead on the ground. And that's why sometimes when people say to me they had a revelation of Jesus, Jesus turned up on the end of their bed and said all these things to them. I personally am skeptical because I think from the Bible, if Jesus turned up, you'd be flat on your face thinking, I'm dead. But I don't think we have that awe of who Jesus is revelation of his glory and his majesty and his power and his sovereignty that is the awe the fear of God that Jesus delighted in because he knew his father he knew his father's glory that is the fear of God that the scriptures say we need to have as his people we need to continue to cultivate and foster in our hearts as his people we need to have this awe of God that when we come before him there's a hush and a reverence and holiness. You know, again, uh, you, you know my heart and you know that I'm not into religious things and traditions and all of that. But I come from a culture where, you know, you, if you go to visit a temple in Sri Lanka, you are supposed to dress a certain way. You, you're supposed to not speak. You're, you're not supposed to do certain things. When we went to Thailand, it was the same. So many other cultures have so much more reverence for their God than often we do as Christians. We're on our phones sometimes in the service When we're singing, we're distracted by a whole bunch of other things. When we come to God's word, we're selective in the the things that we read, our favorite parts. We do so many things that show, show us that maybe we've lost that awe of who God is. Now, this is a really bad illustration, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's kind of like being in a shark tank or a shark cage. You know, I've never done it, but I've read and I've seen plenty of things on YouTube. Getting in that cage and coming face to face with a shark does not take away the awesomeness of that, that sight. But what it does is allow you to get really, really close. But I haven't any, seen anyone sticking their hand out going, woo, woo. And yet that's how we behave with God sometimes. We come before him and we go, Ooh, God, hey, how's it going? Rather than, God, you are so holy. Thank you that I get to come close to you because of Jesus. But you are awesome. And I don't want to take that lightly. That's what I would love for us to cultivate as we step into this new year. Because you know what? The fear of God, the third thing I want to share with you, the fear of God transforms us. It transforms us. It changes everything. And I've just listed a whole bunch of things that, you know, I think will will be different in our lives if we really embrace this attitude more. You, You will long for God's glory because when you get a vision of it, like Isaiah did, he says, oh, that the whole world might be filled with the glory of God. You'll long for it. You will want to listen to God's word and obey him because you have this awesome reverence that... The creator of the universe is speaking to you through his word. And you'll want to obey him and take him seriously at his word. 
you will hate sin and you will fight against it with every ounce of spiritual fortitude within you. You will not trifle with sin. You will not dabble in sin. You will not flirt with sin. You won't play around with how close can I get to the edge and, and not offend my holy God. You won't do those things because you'll be so aware of the holiness of God. You will be faithful to God even under pressure at work, in your home, in your family, in your relationships, in your friendships. You won't cave into the pressure. And Kate's example this morning was a great example of not bowing down because what they feared God more than the wrath of the king. That's why. Because they had a fear of God. You know, it's like in all the movies when they catch a criminal and they're trying to interrogate them and the criminal says, do whatever you want to me. I'm not going to tell you what you want to know because I fear my boss more than I fear you. If we could carry some of that in our heart. Like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife was throwing you know, herself, and this is found in Genesis 39, throwing herself at Joseph, trying to seduce him. And Joseph runs away saying, how can I do this before my God? God is here. And I, my fear of God, my fear of his holiness prevents me from giving in to the pressure of this temptation. You will be humble before God in your attitude. You will not come in arrogance and pride. You will come with great humility and reverence before God. You will submit to God's will for your life and want to live for Him. You'll want to honor God with every part of your life. You'll want to serve Him. You'll want to give your body, your mind, your resources, your talents, your time, every part of you in service of the Creator of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, your Savior and Redeemer. Your private and corporate worship will be different. As I mentioned, you know, you, when you come before God into his holy presence, it will be like being in that shark tank. There will be that awesomeness and reverence, but such thankfulness in your heart that you get to draw close. There's no curtain. There's no separation anymore. There's no sacrificial system anymore. You can come before the very throne of God, but you come with such awe and reverence that you don't take that lightly. You will sing differently at church. You will pay heed to God's word when it's preached differently. Everything changes when you have that reverence of God. And the last two, I guess, are so challenging for me and for all of us maybe this year. You will be set free from the fear of people and situations because you have a great reverence for the greatness of your God. The awe of God will sustain you when you're facing those difficult situations. And that uncertain future, that health diagnosis, that financial need, the, the possibility of losing your job, whatever it might be. Yes, they'll cause you to be anxious, but it, the fear won't grip your heart because you've entrusted yourself to the creator. And you're fearing him. You surrender to him. You're humbling yourself before him. And you will run to God in trouble and you'll trust him. It'll be like having the biggest big brother around. You look up in awe of him because you think, wow, this is he's my brother and he's the toughest kid on the block. Everybody else is afraid of him. And I get to walk with him and hold his hand and say, he's my brother. He's my brother. You will run to God and you will trust him because he is for you. So we've talked about fear. The fear of God is a good thing. We've looked at the two different ways the Bible talks about the fear of God. We've talked about how the fear of God transforms you. And now you're, I know you're all sitting there going, okay, give me this fear. Give me my, I'm, I'm sold. Where do I sign? What do I need to do? How do I get more of this fear in my life? Well, okay, the last thing I want to say is four ways that maybe you can cultivate 
this fear. And again, uh, I want to kind of say this as well. Uh, a, lot of these, uh, a lot of this talk and a lot of the series that we're going to be doing is based on a book uh, by a guy called Graham Bayon. Uh, Bayon. Uh, hard attitudes, cultivating your inner life, I think it's called. And basically it's that. It, it's not about doing things. It's about how do we cultivate this. It's like a garden. What seed do we need to sow? How do we need to care for it and water it and let the Holy Spirit begin to do this work? The first way you can cultivate more fear of God in your life is the gospel. Is the gospel. And I know, you know Christians, we say it's a cliche thing, like the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, reflecting on the story of the Bible, that God created everything. He created us holy to know him and walk with him. And we sinned and rebelled and therefore are the recipients of God's right, just, holy and righteous judgment. And thinking about God's love displayed in the work of the cross, that in that moment we see God's holiness and judgment and his love and mercy displayed. We see God's rescue. We see God's faithfulness. We see the work that God was doing in Jesus to redeem and rescue us. And I want to read you a passage from Luke chapter 2, sorry, Luke chapter 12, where Jesus brings out how we are to live in this tension. Because it is a tension. Because we don't want to go too far one way and so go into the other fear of God that's dread, where we want to avoid God. And when we sin and, and when we you know, do the wrong thing, when we disobey God, that we want to run from God and we hide from God because we're afraid of God in a negative way. We don't want to do that. But we don't want to fall into the opposite danger of just walking into God's presence just casually, you know, say, hey, dude, what's up? We, we don't want to have that attitude either. It's about holding this intention and the gospel helps us to do that. And this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 to 7. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is talking to the people that were already in relationship with him. Fear him. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is saying, remember who you are, remember who God is, remember what you've done, and remember what God rightfully can do to you, condemn you to a lost eternity in hell. He's the one you should fear. Not the people who can just kill your body. But he goes on, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Kind of a strange transition. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now he says, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It, it's the gospel right there in this short teaching of Jesus, remembering that we are condemned under God's wrath and judgment, but rescued and loved in Jesus, that our very hairs are numbered, that we are more valuable than many, many sparrows, that we can come before this very holy, awesome God and call him Father and call him Savior, Redeemer, call him Abba. That's what Jesus is saying. And the more we reflect on that, the more we meditate on that, what God has done, his rescue mission, how he's delivered us in Jesus, we will come to a place of being in awe of him. The second thing you can do is worship. This will cultivate your heart of worship. 
when you come to church or at home or wherever you are and you sing songs that exalt and glorify God, that declare Him as the God above all gods, uh, uh, that declare His sovereignty and supremacy. And when you declare, you reign above it all. You reign. When you sing those songs, as you let those words sink into your heart, you will cultivate that attitude of reverence and awe of Him. And this is what it says in Psalms. Declare His glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. As you exalt him, as you lift him up, as you honor him in your heart and in your mind, as you sing songs of praise to him, you will come to a greater place of reverence and awe before him. The third way you can cultivate an attitude of fear is by reflecting on creation. By getting out there. You know, Dash and I recently, last week, actually, we did the Budai Coastal Walk. And when you go out there and you see those cliffs and you see the size of the ocean and you see just how big the world is, it kind of reminds you of how small you are. There's a story told about uh, President Roosevelt. He would sometimes go out with his advisors in the, in, in the night when they were talking and discussing. He'd pause and he'd go outside and they'd look up at the stars. And so I, I think Arnold was telling me even today and on his trip to the country, he noticed how black the sky is when you go out into the country. And when you look up, how many stars you see. And President Roosevelt would do that with his advisors and they'd just stand there looking up at the stars for a few moments, contemplating and reflecting on that. And then he would say, I think we've been reminded of our smallness. We can go inside and resume now. And there's something profound and awesome and powerful when we just observe God's creation and we marvel at it. It reminds us of God's bigness and our smallness. Do that. I encourage you to do that. The last thing that you can do is pray. Now this sounds, again, cliched. But as I said at the beginning, This work of growing these attitudes in our heart, it doesn't come automatically to us. In fact, when you look at the scriptures in the Old Testament, God called his people in the Old Testament over and over again to fear him, over and over and over again to to see his holiness, to respect him and honor him and obey him and keep covenant over and over again. And over and over again, we see them failing and failing and failing, worshiping idols, turning their back on God, going their own way. But in the in, in his, I think it's in Ezekiel when God gives this promise of the new covenant to come and God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. Part of that new heart was a heart that would fear him and reverence him. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit that does it. And so you, my last helpful suggestion in cultivating this attitude of fearing God is pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a revelation of who God is, how awesome he is, and who you are to him. And may that attitude grow and grow in you. So I'd like the band to come up. They're going to lead us in something. But I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to take a moment and just reflect. Reflect on everything that I've been sharing, on the scriptures that we've been looking at. Reflect on the holiness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the power of God. As, you, as we're in the second Sunday of 2022,
And maybe you've already set some resolutions and goals of what you want to achieve this year. Maybe in this moment, maybe the place to begin this journey into this year is with reverence, awe, worship, respect, humbling ourselves before our mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name. Thank you, Jesus. for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.